0: You are listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast with Dr. K, episode number six, The Event Design Campus with Rude Johnson.
1: Welcome to the Extraordinary Events Podcast, where we aim to educate, inspire, and empower individuals who wish to design transformational experiences. Now, your host, event education champion, Dr. Kristen Mallet.
0: Hello my dear friends. Happy Thursday. Today's episode is something new and different on our podcast. Today I will be doing an interview with my dear friend and industry colleague but for the first time on this podcast we are not both in the podcast studio together. I am currently sitting in a professional podcast studio while my guest today is across the ocean in Switzerland Zooming in on his laptop from his home office. This will be a really fun experiment in sound quality, internet connection, and using Zoom for podcasts. But I promise you that no matter the outcome, it is completely worth your time because my dear friend is a leading expert in event design. He helped co-create the event design canvas that I use on a frequent basis in my professional design work and within my classes. Rud, I want to thank you so much for being here on our podcast today. If you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your history?
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Kristen. This is uh, this is a treat. Uh, always to speak to you, but also to be able to talk about the stuff that we get geeky about, which is event design, right? So, my name is Rud. It's a name that doesn't travel very well, but my parents didn't know that uh, when they gave me the name. Originally from the Netherlands. Spent some time in my youth in different countries, in France, in the Philippines, in the US. Ended up studying hospitality management and working for five-star hotels, running convention centers, convention services, a marketing and sales director, and for a chain-related German hotel chain. What I kept noticing over time was that whenever people were doing events, within like 30 seconds, you would be able to assess that team and have an idea of whether that event was going to be phenomenal, mediocre at best or an absolute disaster. Somehow there's something in when you look at a team, when you see that somebody brings in an event or wants to host an event, or whatever. And for many years, I've seen teams in those various roles, but never really decode what made them successful or not so successful, but you just had a hunch. So now for the last 10 years, 11 years, I've been living in Switzerland, here in Basel, the Northwest of the country, I have been doing a lot of things in between, being a professional conference organizer in a large global organization, but really wanted to dig into this niche a number of years back, and because this thing was agonizingly biting away at my sense of wonder and curiosity, because I wanted to code and decode how events create value, and so together with my colleague Frisse and Dennis Luyer, and now there's about 15 of us doing this across the planet, we're fascinated by one thing, which is you know how does your event create value, and then being able to articulate it on a single piece of paper systematically so that teams can use a methodology to design events. And we teach them how to do that. And the core reason to do that is because we have to make the job of the event owner not just less difficult, but also more fun. If you want to make sure that events have justification for the sense of value. And the other thing is, you know, how do you get everyone on the same page when you're doing a, something as complex as an event? Uh, because when people are on the same page, doing the event becomes a lot easier and it usually ends up being a lot better. That's kind of how that came together.
0: Back in 2016, I did the level one certification and I knew then it would be a game changer. I know that so many of our event programs teach logistics and anyone can learn the logistics. You can get an internship, you can get a part-time job, and you can learn the logistics. But to really know the design sets you apart and internally you knew that somewhere. Can you tell us about how the event design canvas came into being, the structure of it, and how you got it to be the structure that it is on one page?
1: Yeah, it took us a year to come up with that one page, so and probably the twenty years before that too. But we were very inspired by the work done by Alex Osterwalder, who created the business model canvas. And when I was on the international board of directors for MBI at the World Edu- Education Congress in Vancouver, he came to talk to us, and we talked about business models and you know how businesses create value and things like that and uh, i was triggered and fascinated we spent quite a lot of time learning how that works and what was currently known about it which this was back in 2010 when the business model canvas had just been uh, published with the first book that they wrote called the business model generation and seeing it we you know you could think of an event as a temporary business it's got a beginning a middle and an end and kind of a very quick run-through of what a you know, m- miniature business could look like. But at the same time, those things that create values in a, in, in a business versus those things that create value in an event are very, uh, can be quite different. And so this is where we had been thinking about this for a long time, and uh, Udo and I had been you know, attempting to crack what that looks like. And then Alex, who created the Business Model Canvas through an event called the Business Design Summit in 2013 in Berlin, and a couple of weeks before that event, I had lunch with him at APFL at the University in Lausanne. And I could see the anger in his, in his head and in his face when he was talking about the event. Although he was super excited, the event was sold out. You know, it invited 250 people. You know, each of them paid, bought a ticket for 2,000 euros. So he was pretty much sorted. But his startup company that was building software, Strategizer, everybody in the company could only talk about this stupid event and kind of held up and held hostage the rest of the company trying to just get work done. So an event can be very all-consuming because many people know many things about events and everybody thinks they can have an opinion, just like with restaurants or hotels or anything else in the hospitality industry. We all know a lot about them because we all consume them. And that anger when he said, can you potentially help us do that, turned into a no from my end, which is not what I learned in the hospitality industry, because in the hospitality industry, you always say yes to everything. But I said no, because what he taught us was that if you find the pain, you know, amp up the pain first. And the no was that very gesture. Right? No, I'm not going to help you, but yes, I will come to the event. And I'm not coming alone. I'm coming with my colleague Ul. And together, we will to your event quite critically because we know a thing or two about events because we've been doing them for a while. And if you like, after the event, we'll come and tell you what we thought of the experience journey and, and the way that you put together the event. And um, in return, we said, if we do that, you know, for you, will you in turn have a look at our event canvas, uh, which was still the very primary stages then, and have your team who are specialists at developing canvases and had the experience of business model canvas to take our baby and stretch it to see if it's as good as it can be. And that's when we ended up writing the event design handbook. But before we did that, we created something called the event design facilitation kit, which really outlines process of going through an event design cycle and all the steps that are kind of a part of that, then people want to really get proficient and be able to facilitate others through the process in order to design the best possible events.
0: Awesome. Thank you. One of the things that I often encounter is that certain individuals come into the design process with their own objectives in mind or their own idea about what the event should look like. But as you know, you then go through the process and actually empathize with the stakeholder. It's no longer about you. It is about the person you're empathizing with or the person you're designing for. Do you encounter this often as well? Do you have any advice for our listeners today about what to do in that situation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's not just students, by the way. Right? Uh, I think this goes true for anybody that maybe has been to events, done events, and then runs into this as a process. And you have to allow that to happen. That's fine. Everybody has that bias. The group's kind of dynamic dispels it. The other thing I think, Kristen, that you've experienced also there and that students will experience and anybody that does this is that if you're facilitating the process, uh, it's the art of letting go of the outcome. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're just responsible for the process of the team to get to, a, to, an, out, to an output, right? to something that comes out of that. So the process gets you to an outcome. And the facilitator just has to have the confidence to trust the process and trust the team that they will get to an outcome. It's not a preset outcome. This is a very miserable process if you want it to end up in the place where you think it needs to be.
0: I think that one thing as a teacher, with students in particular, they want an answer. There is a right and there is a wrong. You take a test and you get the points or you don't. You have a group project, and you have a rubric, and you get the points, or you don't. But then, with design, you have a process, and you say, okay, let's talk. Let's go through this process together. But students are always asking for feedback, which is good, but they are always asking, is this right or is this wrong? There really is no wrong, as long as you're working through the process together and giving it your all. I think this is a very different mindset focused on the process and not just the output.
1: And I think in, a, you know, in, in any kind of environment, but especially in a fast-changing environment where nobody knows, this is a critical skill set to have. You have to be okay with the ambiguity. You have to have a process to be able to get to an outcome. You have to trust that, and you have to be able to facilitate it or be okay with being part of it and then just contributing. But the fact that multiple people are contributing just means you're exponentially increasing the brain power or the the brain trust being put into this project to get to a potential prototype of what could come out of it.
0: I know we both agree that there is so much value of meeting in person, particularly in this process, having the canvas on the wall, having your post-it notes and physically moving the post-it notes from one canvas to another. Now, we are all pivoting online because of coronavirus, but I see that you haven't missed a beat. What has your experience been pivoting online during this time?
1: I've experimented with hybrid and live events for the past 15 years, I say. Seen some fascinating things in experimentation, but now that we have to do them at scale, and everybody needs to have the competency for developing it simultaneously, we're going to discover functions of communication we didn't know existed. In the learning, what people have told us specifically about this program is that going from the live and being able to do it with paper and, and post-its and, and with a live interaction, and then having to bring it online if your team is dispersed or you need to communicate it back to us by submitting it on mural, that's kind of a learning gap between that and the online version. Now people are immersed for three days in that online experience, which is very focused and very, you know, everybody has it on their screen. You cannot really look anywhere else because it's going pretty fast take a break and actually be in their own environment, can come back into this learning environment without jet lag, other distractions, and things like that. If you time it right, if you design it right, it can be an extremely powerful learning experience that can be even stronger than, than a face-to-face learning experience. So I don't think there's good, better, or worse in any of these things. It's all in how you design it and how you have the intent of that happening. But the one mantra that we keep for those programs now is that They're 80% mystery and 20% clarity when you get started. And by the end of the program, all that has to be flipped into an actual story that people can carry and be part of. I think that's important. And for every digital element that we do, right, if we have digital confetti, we also need to have real confetti. And that's shipped in a box to everybody so that when we have graduation, you know, your do-it-yourself hat and your confetti or whatever it might be, right? Whether it's, you know, the do-it-yourself lunch or the actual posters and the materials, you know, the roll cards we actually wear you know, on our lapel because now I know that you're the facilitator and I can be the blah, blah reducer or whatever. If we all have the same materials, it creates a sense of connectivity. But you need to be a super event logistics manager planner you know, to ship materials across the planet at the right speed with the right things to say, now open the envelope A, right? It's those little things that you have to think about continuously uh, that are gonna make the difference. Yeah. I think that's that's what we've learned so far.
0: As we wrap up our podcast today, if our listeners are interested in connecting with you further, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so I don't know if you have the opportunity to share some links under your under your podcast or when when you share it, but it's very simple: eventcanvas.org. If you go there, you will find you know the resources, the downloads, the first hundred pages of the book. It's available in multiple and 16 languages. I think the the canvases, both in digital format and in printed format. You'll also find us under the team section there, the people that do this. You will find the list of certified event designers. You know, if you go there and download that, you want to keep up to touch. You also see, you know, the levels of the trainings and what that looks like in practice. And and also, there's now an online learning uh, management system uh, which has. You could know, be part of a design team with certified event designers and look over the shoulder of what it looks like. They're very timely now, because a lot of people like that resource to go back to. If there's something in the process that they want to get clarity on, they can go back to that module and just listen in on how, how do we do that or how are they doing it.
0: Rud, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure.
0: To all of my friends listening today, thank you so much for taking the time to make the time. I'll talk with you next week. Thank you for
1: listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.